all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. Reactive oxygen species versus antioxidant. We have a, a tension between iron and copper. Then we come down to the immune system. There's two sides to it. There's the innate and the acquired. What I read last week is that both sides of the immune system key off of bioavailable copper. These antioxidant enzymes are the backbone of the immune system. Okay. That's the, that's the part that the immune system, oh, it's down in your gut and it's in the bowels of your, your digestive tract. and It's like, wait a minute. No, it's not. <laughs> it's these antioxidant enzymes. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 163 with Morley Robbins. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and today you will learn how iron is a two-edged sword when it comes to health, why you are probably are not getting an accurate iron measurement from your doctor, and when you're infected with Borrelia burgdorferi, it changes the way magnesium is used in your immune system. Thanks, Aurora. Every journey through Lyme disease is different. And cookie-cutter approaches just don't work. You need to fight Lyme like a ninja. That's why each week we bring you a new and interesting guest just for you. And I'm sure you're going to find Morley Robbins. He's a fascinating guy. Fascinating. This is his second time on Lyme Ninja Radio. We have a lot more to get into, and we're very happy, happy to have him back as a guest. As you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem, and each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. And this week, we had listeners from Brisbane, Australia, all the way to Bridgewater, UK, and from Kingston, Jamaica, to Paris, France, as opposed to Paris, New York. Exactly. (laughs) Which is about three miles from here, up the hill. There's actually a Paris Hill, as well as just plain Paris. And more trivia, there's a Poland... And a Russia right nearby. Yep. We're an international community here in central New York. Yep. International names anyway, right? International names. Okay. And our podcasting service. I'm entertained by the names up here. <laughs> yeah. Coming from Washington, D.C., where everything was alphabetized. Yeah. All the street names. And yeah, anyway, that's mm. another. Why, why am I talking about this? You need to keep know. me on track. You're talking about, anyway. 
Don't send the hate mail to Aurora. <laughs> it's her job, but it's like hurting cats. Our podcast service keeps track of which towns and cities listen the most. And this is this week's top 10. Let's see who made it. Number 10 is Carmel, Indiana. Number 9, San Jose, California. Number 8, Nashville, Tennessee. Number 7, Dingman's Ferry. Is that what it says? Dingman's Dingman's Ferry, Ferry, Pennsylvania. Number 6 is Chicago, Illinois. Number 5, St. Louis, Missouri. Number 4, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Number 3, Melbourne Beach, Florida. Number 2, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And number 1, again... Two weeks running, <laughs> Rochester, Minnesota. As we think we know why that is. We got an email this week, and there is somebody seriously binge listening to us out there. So, yeah. anyway, if you do binge listen, <laughs> binge listen, send us a note, will you? We'd love to hear from you. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Morley Robbins. Morley Robbins has been a hospital executive and consultant for 32 years until he developed a condition called frozen shoulder, which opened his eyes to the power of natural medicine and set him on his path of becoming an expert in the interplay between magnesium, copper, and iron metabolism. Through his Magnesium Advocacy Group, MAG, he is committed to educating as many people as possible about the importance of iron toxicity and how magnesium and copper help regulate well-being. Thanks, Aurora. And here's our interview with Morley Robbins. I'm very excited to speak with you again. We had such a good conversation, and I know we both wanted to continue this conversation about what you've been working on for the past, good grief, I forget, 20 years? 15? Nine nine years. Nine Nine years. years. Okay. Especially probably the last three or four have been notably um, intense. Uh, It's it's hard to describe the, uh, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. We certainly heard that expression, but it, every morning is like that. It's like the universe is testing to see how much can you handle? Can you take <laughs> this? And it's, it's absolutely, um, at times it's almost overwhelming. Not so much the volume of it as the consistency of the message. If there really is no disease. It doesn't exist. It's it's the natural human reaction to excess iron, and the and the and the uh, the oxygen radicals, the nitrogen radicals, and the sulfur radicals that are created by too much iron. And this idea that. Um, that there's disease is just it's a convenient story that sells a lot of medication. And that's that's very disarming for people. You know, I just heard somebody say recently, I believe it was Scott Adams, he said, you know, human beings aren't very well designed to deal with the reality. What we're designed to deal with are stories. Like that's how we can understand exactly. the world. So depending exactly. on the story and that's that's so this translates to another funny, and I'm not particularly advocating this, but people who use uh, hallucinogenics to shake up yeah. their stories often have different insights into the world because they start 
cha- uh, challenging everything. Uh, they're, they're willing to look at stories that, that we hold dear. And I was just going to say, and that's, it's, it's interesting. The, 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 one of the foundational ideas that attracted me to the school of acupuncture I went to was the same story that there is no disease, that there's only, uh, uh, falling off the path, uh, leaving of the path of nature's, uh, nature's in, intention. And that that is the source of all disease. And if you are able to get, to the to the heart of the path, then the disease the body will take care of itself. It will heal itself. So that's, that's in so hearing true. your story. In hearing your story, that's what resonated with me so deeply. It's okay. Here's somebody who is really looking for the central pathways. Yeah, and and the thing is, um, back to your earlier comment, I think it was Mark Twain who said it's much easier um, to fool people. Than to convince them that they have been fooled. <laughs> and again, we're, we're, we're very gullible. And I, I'm in a farming community where there are really gifted farmers who grow produce and animals. And they know to have a successful yield, they got to depend on minerals to increase the yield. They know this. This is very, this is the, the focal point of agriculture is minerals produce yield. It's not complicated. But as they get older, they start to develop symptoms. And then what they do is they turn their brain off, they go to the doctor, and the doctor tells them that they have a disease. And because they're gullible, they believe it. But it's the exact same uh, mineral dynamic in the human tissue as it is in the soil. Now, you mentioned... Uh, oxygen radicals. I think we're all familiar with, with that idea. And yeah. the, the night, uh, the nitrate, what did you call them? Uh, nitrogen, sorry, nitrogen radicals, which are basically, and I may not have it 100% right, but it's nitric oxide based initially. Yes, with most of the nitrogen radicals. But then you mentioned something right. else that I'm not familiar with, which is the sulfur based radicals. And what are those? Right. Well, they, think of it this way. There's, there's something called R-O-N-S, and there's some authors that will talk about reactive oxygen-nitrogen-sulfur species. And I think most people know a lot about, but I shouldn't say most, if people know about um, radicals, they're going to know a lot about oxygen radicals. They're going to know less about nitrogen, and they're going to know very little about sulfur. And sulfur is, it's an amazing element, as you know, but it can be in forms that are very disruptive to the metabolism of the body. And these these uh, elements, oxygen, nitrogen, and sulfur, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're signaling molecules as much as anything. They're telling the body that something's happening or not happening. So um, I don't have a lot of profound insights about the sulfur, but I can wear you out about oxygen and nitrogen <laughs> because because there's so much ignorance about what they really are. And, and it's not just that pathogens induce them. Excess iron induces these things, but people have never been taught that. 
that's a that's a whole other side of of research that is clearly evident in the research, but is not taught in medical school or or any any practitioner training. Why? Because it spoils the story that humans love to live. We love a story, just like you said. We believe the story. We're we're basically my message is that Santa Claus is really Satan. And we've been led to believe that, that, that iron is this beautiful mineral and it just we can't live without it and we need so much more of it. And it's like it's an oh my gosh moment when you realize it's the agent of disease. So back to your analogy there, Santa and Satan, essentially somewhere evolutionarily we made a deal with the devil with iron. Yep. And so okay. Well, We'll, we'll let you behind the gates here, but you better behave. And the truth is, it's not very well behaved. Well, let, let's let's play with that. So, Robert Crichton, C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N, is a world-renowned iron expert in Belgium. And he's the man. He probably knows more about iron than anybody on the planet. And he wrote a very important article called Old Iron new copper mars versus venus it's a very entertaining very entertaining article but he talks about the origin of planet earth Hmm. it's really important to understand again you got to have the right context to understand things right Mm -hmm. so when when the planet earth was formed all life forms depended on iron why? Because there was no oxygen on the planet. And then about a billion years ago, oxygen began to accumulate on this planet. Nobody really knows why. But then the planet was faced with a, with a crisis. It had to come up with some way to metabolize that oxygen so that the life forms could continue to exist. This, and this is not me being playful and, and provocative. This is a fact. That the iron, that thirty six percent of this planet is based on iron. It's the number one element on this planet. You know, you'll see. Oh, it's the it's it's the number uh, two element on the crust, and it's the number four element in metals. And it's like they love to obscure the reality of Earth is iron first, and then a bunch of other stuff that flows from that. And so. The fact that so many people have issues with iron means that the modern species is not able to metabolize that metal. So what did planet Earth do a billion years ago? It had to recruit copper from Venus. I don't know how that happened, but but Crichton makes this very provocative. It had to recruit that copper because copper is the only element that can work with oxygen cleanly. And that's a, it's not only a, a, a chemical fact, it's a very significant part of the story. So that the, the confusion arises in that <clears throat> they love to talk about oxidation. If you've heard that term, oh, oxidation. Yes. Right. Did you know that there were two forms of it? No. Nope. There's two ways to create oxidation. You can take an oxygen molecule and add it to a substrate using copper 
and that's called fusion. It's a clean form of oxidation. And you get something, you get an enhanced, energized form of it. Copper activates oxygen. And so that's the process that's used to create energy in the, in the mitochondria. That's the process that's used to convert tyrosine into dopamine, and then dopamine into noradrenaline, and noradrenaline into adrenaline. And then on the other side of the neurotransmitter chain, that's where you start with tryptophan and turn it and into serotonin. 5-HTP. Yeah. And then get serotonin, yep. and then create serotonin into melatonin. All of those are... Those, those oxidation transactions are done with copper, but that's all obscured in the literature because they don't want you to know how important it is. So that's, that's the oxidation via copper. It's nice and clean. It's life-enhancing. It, it's, it's what drives all biogenic amines in the human body. Very important set of, of chemicals. Well, then there's something called oxidation. It involves iron. But that involves taking a hydrogen atom away. It creates a dirty form of oxidation. It's, it's entropic. It creates chaos because it's the chain reaction. So it, you take a, a fat in the membrane, cell membrane, and you grab a hydrogen for one of the OH groups in the, in the fat, and suddenly the fat is destabilized, and there's a chain reaction that results in a lot of bad stuff. That is oxidation. And it's mind-numbing that they use the exact same word to describe two completely different chemical events in the body. And we're left, no wonder people are confused. And, and it's like, how does, I want, to, I want to meet the scientist or whoever was in charge of the science books, who said, it's okay, wink, wink, to call oxidation the same thing when it's involving copper or iron. They have completely different properties. So that, that iron has four unpaired electrons in its, in its structure. Not in its outer shell, but in its structure. That's a really bad thing. That creates a very unstable uh, electron. It creates a very... Uh, paramagnetic entity and that means it's got magnetic properties that's what paramagnetic paramagnetic means and so then you take something like ferritin it has 4500 atoms of iron in it and we're supposed to be worshiping at the altar of ferritin we need oh we need more ferritin let's get bunches of it so that we have then we have in ferritin we have 10,000 unpaired electrons and then when ferritin gets denatured because of, of oxidative stress in the body, and we create what's called hemosiderin, and then there's 100,000 unpaired electrons, and we're supposed to get excited about that? No, it's, that's a nuclear reactor for biological chaos. And people don't understand that, and I would guess that because we don't have the yardstick for measuring truly the intracellular level of ferritin, and we don't have the yardstick for truly measuring what's going on with hemosiderin, my, my thesis would be that people who have Lyme disease are full of ferritin and hemosiderin, but they don't know that because the, the metrics of medicine only measure what's in the blood, not in the tissue. And the blood is not a reflection of the tissue. Although we've, we believe the story that, that they are the same, 
But that's not the truth. It's well. That's where the whole thing starts to break down. Absolutely, and the whole uh, serum versus tissue issue. It's, it's actually alive and well in, in the science. It, but it, it's brought up as a question, but then it's just dropped quickly because dealing with tissue, especially once you get into studying human beings, none of us want to have biopsies done. It hurts and it's no fun. Of course it, yeah. But, but drawing blood is easy and simple. So we just kind of default to the, okay, we'll just touch the serum, but they are totally different. They are. And, and what I learned this morning, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Stevenson Jr. He has a, a Facebook group called Seco Steroid D, and this guy's all over the the fact that that supplemental hormone D is a poison, and he's got. I mean, I thought I had a lot of articles on it. He he's just the guy's got a library full of articles that talk about the dark side of hormone D supplements, and. What I learned today was, so we know that, that like iron, there's iron, let's, let's picture, let's have the listeners picture a seesaw, and at one end of the seesaw, let's put a four-year-old, and at the other end of the seesaw, let's put a sumo wrestler, and when the sumo wrestler sits down, we know what's going to happen to the four-year-old. He's going to be dangling for dear life at the top of the seesaw. And so what does, what does medicine do? This is a, this is an analogy for assessing iron status in the body. But medicine puts a spotlight on the four year old, says, Oh, you're anemic. You're light. You, you don't have enough, you don't have enough iron in your blood. But it ignores the sumarasar and it ignores the fulcrum. There's no, it exist. And you're right. In order to really find out how much sumarasar we have, you have to do either a needle biopsy, very painful, as you noted, you first, or go find a Tesla 7 MRI, there may be two or three on the planet, and it's real expensive to do that. But it's the it's the go-to standard to assess iron status in organs and tissue all over the body. It's, it's like a, a glow-in-the-dark technology. They know bingo bongo exactly how much iron you have in your tissue, not this foo-foo measurement of the four-year-old. And then the other thing is there's that fulcrum is actually the ferrooxidase enzyme. And if we were lab rats, we would know exactly what the ferrooxidase function is because research labs do it all the time. But we're not rats. We're humans. And so we're left with this mind-numbing measurement of ceruloplasm, which is Jekyll Hyde. It expresses in two forms, and they won't tell us which is which. So we have this complete obscurity of how iron gets measured. We believe the story of the four-year-old. We don't really know what the true iron status is. And then the corollary is that when they're measuring hormone D, they're telling you what's in the blood. And what I learned today is that hormone D gets stored in fat cells. Yes, tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. Tremendously. And, And then we have this active form, which gets flipped if it gets to the kidney, but but what we have is a, a very falsified indicator of, of the 25-hydroxy, the storage form, calcidiol, and it's in the blood, but we don't have any way of measuring what's in the fat cells. And the, and the form of vitamin D that people are taking, like it's candy, it's a fat-soluble form and the body prefers water-soluble. 
And then the only way you can make water soluble is to take cholesterol and magnesium and go outside and get some sunshine. And then and that process sulfates the, the cholesterol, which then sulfates the um, the the vitamin D metabolite, and that sulfated form is water soluble. It completely changes its chemical function when it has a sulfate molecule attached to it. I don't begin to understand how it does that, but it 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 is the preferred form of of uh, vitamin D is the sulfated form, the water soluble form, and you can't make that by taking the the form coming out of a bottle. The body doesn't work it that way because you have to have sunshine. And so it's just, it's like, so now we have two elements, iron and vitamin D, that measure one way in the blood and they get stored in the tissue, but we don't have a yardstick for that. So then it begs the question, it's probably true for everything. We don't really, we have this, again, we, we believe the story of blood work that it's telling the complete story when in fact we're getting a cliff note version of every other word of what's really going on in the, in the metabolism of the body. And then people think I'm anemic and what do they do? They take iron. I'm, I have vitamin D deficiency. And what do they take? Bottled forms of vitamin D. Not knowing that in fact magnesium and bioavailable copper are what are vital to manage both of those metabolites, iron and vitamin D. It's like that's the part that, that never gets discussed because it, it kills the story of Big Pharma. In preparation for our interview, I was reading the article you sent me on uh, iron sequestration, essentially, during an infection. Now, one thing that's interesting with Borrelia, and it the question got opened. The early studies showed that there is no iron inside the Borrelia itself. Dr. Wang down at Hopkins has since done some work, and there seems to be, with his work, some iron. So the question's back open again, whether iron's there or not. But one thing that definitely happens during an infection is the macrophages get a protein turned off. And so the iron starts accumulating within these macrophages and other cells, but that gives rise to high iron within the cells and low iron outside the cells. So the, any bacteria that's outside the cell starts getting starved because most bacteria feed on iron. You said it's, it's this ancient mineral. And so the bacteria are ancient right. forms of life. But if right. you have a bacteria that's invaded a cell and many of the co-infections with Lyme disease invade the cells. And Borrelia can, although it, it also lives in tissue. Then all of a sudden you've got this target-rich environment, this very, it's a buffet for the bacteria. And so they're taking advantage of the immune system. And there, there are other infections that also take advantage of this process. Uh, uh, walking pneumonia is, is another one of myco, right. myco, uh, right. So that's one of these things that can, that Borrelia seems to do and its friends seem to do is really take advantage. Now, the other thing I was reading about in another wonderful paper, uh, by Karen Tracy and Nicole Baumgarth, they're talking about how the Borrelia modifies the quality of the 
T cells and then B cells. So the kind of the helper T cells and the B, uh, the more mature immune system. So I started looking up, you know, based on, on what you're showing me is like magnesium's role in the, the, the maturation of the immune system. And there it, there it is right there center, center stage again. In fact, there's some work suggesting that magnesium is actually also a signaling molecule within the immune system. And so we've got all this dysregulation. Again, if we look into it, into this fundamental magnesium, copper, iron axis, and if the functions aren't working properly to begin with, all of a sudden it makes total sense that we are severely susceptible to whatever infection comes around. And for some unlucky people, it just happens to be Borrelia, but it sounds like really it's just a ticking time bomb. And it was just yeah, depending think, on what, what just happened to show up and what you get infected with. I, I think that's absolutely true. And let, let's go back to some real basics because I think what, what people are missing, I can, again, I'm not a football fanatic, but it, it helps a lot of people know the game of football and how do teams win? Because they're really good at blocking and tackling. That's that's the basics of, of and of course the really good teams have the quarterback with the arm, right? Yep. So but block blocking and tackling is what it's about. Let's go back to what is the purpose of a cell? Create energy and clear exhaust. That's that's it. Gotta gotta make energy, gotta create it, and gotta I gotta get rid of it. I gotta get get rid of the exhaust that's given off in that process. And one of the one of the known exhaust byproducts is superoxide. And what's that? It's a, it's an oxygen molecule that has an extra electron, and it's real grumpy about it. And if it doesn't get cleared, then it creates all sorts of downstream uh, chaos. So that's an important thing to understand that the cell has a basic function: create energy, clear exhaust. So then let's come to a, a seesaw. One of the fundamental seesaws in our metabolism is balancing the production of what are called reactive oxygen species. Let's just, we're going to park the, the nitrogen and sulfur for a little while because that, that is just going to confuse the discussion. But let's just talk about the ROS, and those are called reactive oxygen species, or they're also called free radicals. You know, okay, have as many as you want. They're free. Go ahead. They're, they're, <laughs> but they're right? radical, right? So, but that's right. And that's okay. why we're taking vitamin C and all this other stuff to, to help eliminate these ROSs. Right. And, and so then the, the vitamin C and the vitamin E, those are antioxidant vitamins. But who talks about antioxidant enzymes? Nobody, because that's what really balances out the other side of the seesaw. So you have ROS on one side, and then you have AOE, antioxidant enzymes, on the other side. What are some of those antioxidant enzymes? Oh, ferrooxidase is the master antioxidant enzyme. Superoxide dismutase, right? Discovered by Joe McCord in 1966 at Duke. Is glutathione an enzyme, or is it... uh Molecule. The glutathione, glutathione is not an enzyme, but glutathione 
peroxidase. Peroxidase, there we go. Is the enzyme. And then there's another one called catalase. And there's, you know, peroxin, peroxyredoxin. All of these funny sounding names are all enzymes that are really important. And they all key off of bioavailable copper. And when push comes to shove, what you find out is the free radicals all key off of iron, unbound iron. And, oh, yes, the booga bugs, they produce oxidants, but in an iron-rich environment. Again, the, the pathogens exist, replicate, and thrive on an iron buffet. That's the only thing Pasteur forgot to tell us. It was the most important part of the puzzle, but he forgot to tell us that. So we have, we have... Iron-induced reactive oxygen species versus copper-driven antioxidant enzymes. So that's the, that's the, so that's let, the fundamental balancing act. Yeah, body. and let's let's pause here too because even if then the oh, let me back up here. Even if the bacteria isn't eating the iron itself, you know, as a food source, right? But creating other reactive species whether they're nitrogen induced or exactly. or inducing the exactly. inducing the body to create it through like inducible nitric oxide or something like that the, the zone's getting flooded and if the iron's loose or not well regulated it doesn't it's going to create like you said a hydrogen bomb it's just all this extra inflammation going on and we see that over and over again with chronic diseases people just inflamed out of their mind whether it's their gut or their brain and their whatever it is joints Exactly. Very well said, McKay. That's that's exactly what's happening. And the thing is, um, the the body's response to lipopolysaccharides being given off by pathogens or excess iron in the tissue is the exact same reaction. And it will create an inflammatory cascade. So Whether it's coming from LPS or from iron. Right. So let's just pause there for a second so everybody knows these these LPS are little molecules that get produced by bacteria. Interestingly enough, Borrelia doesn't produce a whole lot of these or any. They do a lipoglycogen type of thing. I was just reading about that today. But anyway, the LPS, all the, all the bacteria in your gut pr- produce these chemicals and the body really doesn't like them. <laughs> They're poison to the body. So it works really hard. It triggers the immune system and the body works really hard to get rid of them. And that's a, a lot of the inflammatory response of, of when we get sick from, from bacteria or whether it's yeast or viruses or whatever. Exactly. So we have, we have one, we've got create energy, clear exhaust. Yep. We have this balancing act reactive oxygen species versus antioxidant. We have a, a tension between iron and copper. Then we come down to the immune system. There's two sides to it. There's the innate and the acquired. What I read last week is that both sides of the immune system key off of bioavailable copper. Hmm, that's pretty interesting. How? how? And, uh, well, the, we're talking about the, these antioxidant enzymes are the backbone of the immune system. Okay. That's the that's the part that the immune system. Oh, it's down in your gut and it's in the bowels of your your digestive tract. And it's like, wait a minute, 
No, it's not. <laughs> it's these antioxidant enzymes. You know what's interesting? So I've heard, we've all heard that 80% of your immune system in your gut is like, where did I ask somebody once, how did they come up with that? What they mean is 80% of your lymph system is in your gut. That's that measurement. That's it's like, okay, well, that's, yeah. Okay, that's, that's nice. Very well said. Yeah. And, and so, so let's play with that for just a second. So how does lymph move? You got to have bioavailable copper. How does lymph become stagnant? Got to have too much iron. It's, it's very well established in the literature. Again, this, it's, it's mind numbing to realize that it all comes down to really three minerals, magnesium, copper, and iron. And the way I'm coming to characterize it is <clears throat> magnesium is like your mother and copper is like your father. And iron is like a four-year-old with a hammer. <laughs> I had twins. <laughs> okay. Twins with a hammer. <laughs> and, and so what, oh, what, parent, what parent would allow their four-year-old child to run roughshod in the house with a hammer and without any supervision? Okay, I got, yeah, I got to pause here. This, this is really funny because over the years, part of acupuncture is – it. The relationships people have. And most of my practice is women. Women consume more healthcare, right? So they complain about their husbands not doing a particular job or project. I said, you know, you, you have to stop nagging them because they just tune you out. Here's what you need to do. Just pick up a hammer and go near the project that you want done and just start banging on something and they'll come running. <laughs> So uh, no. I love your analogy there of a four-year-old with a hammer because it's going to get a lot of attention really fast. <laughs> it, it, and, it, and that and to the thing, the better iron researchers will say this is this is how they characterize it. They say iron needs constant supervision and chaperoning. It's a really important phraseology is really powerful. And so what they're saying is it's always got to be attached to some protein in order to prevent it, it creating free radicals. That's what they're really trying to say. So, again, moms, and again, I don't mean to, to overplay this analogy, but, but moms are usually the drumbeat of a family, and dads crack the whip. And so, like, in, in our family, that there were certain rules. There were how, we called them house rules. And if you didn't like the house rules, well, you could sleep outside. <laughs> and, and, my, and my four kids were very smart, and they realized it's more fun to sleep inside than outside. So they followed the house rules. And it's just, the thing is that iron will test the rules any chance it gets. Yes. And, and so what, what, complicates this discussion is that for every atom of copper there's 60 atoms of iron and it's like wow that's a, that's a lot to keep track of and so that the, the purpose of that ferrooxidase enzyme is there's supposed to be eight atoms of copper inside there so then it's managing about 500 atoms of iron and Make sure that folks connect the dots here. That means that copper is really smart and really regulatory if, if eight atoms are able to manage 500 atoms of iron. And so it becomes a really um, graphic uh, juxtaposition of these minerals, but it doesn't take a lot of 
of copper to manage a lot of iron. And here are some statistics for people just to kind of get their heads around to begin to understand where the where it started to break down. So the average person has 100 milligrams of copper in their body and about 5,000 milligrams of iron in their body. That's about a ratio of 60 to 1. And so it's interesting, though, that in the course of a daily um, food processing, we lose about a one and a half milligrams of copper and one and a half milligrams of iron. How, how do we lose? Day. How do we lose the copper? Is it excreted? Uh, it's it's excreted it's in our feces. Okay. It's in it's in it's in bile, but it's it's just part of the natural process of of cells sloughing off the interior of the intestine. They have copper in there, and they, it's. Uh, it's just a natural deterioration of the, of the recycling process. The, the the lining of the gut turns over every seventy two hours. Right, very quickly, and there's a lot of minerals out with out the door with that. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So so we have we have a a one point five milligram of copper, one point five milligrams of iron. Well, we're we're losing one point five percent of our copper every day, mm-hmm. and we're losing point zero three percent of our iron every day. There's a 50-fold difference in the amount of copper being lost to the amount of iron being lost. But there's no good form of iron supplementation out of a bottle. They're all very toxic to the body. Wink, wink. We're not supposed to know that. And the best form of copper supplementation is called beef liver, and most people would rather vomit than eat it. And then we have, on the other side, we're having a 0.03% loss of iron, and we have eight different forms of iron being added to our food system. They've been doing it since 1941. And we have all sorts of iron supplements in wide variations of forms. We have iron infusions, if we really want to go big time. And we have iron oxide being added to every medication on this planet. And there's iron being added to water called chemtrails. So, so we have this, this flood of iron into our system when we only lose a little tiny bit, and we have no good way to restore the copper. The other part of this is that since 1908, they did a study, 1908 soil samples versus 2000 soil samples. It's just so depressing. Yeah. 80% loss of copper in the soil since 1908. And magnesium's the same way. I mean, it's just, yeah, some of the other minerals. Do, do, Do you think that's an accident? (laughs) <laughs> I don't think so, because what did they use? They used NPK. What does NPK do? It destroys the status of magnesium, copper, and sulfur in the soil. Hmm. Think that's an accident? I don't think so. Again, this this the fact that that in at the end of the Second World War we were the healthiest nation on the planet with a four percent rate of chronic disease. Now, some 70 years later, 2015, we are the sickest nation on the planet with over 50% chronic disease. That's not genetic. That's an engineered process. That, did, that didn't happen through evolution. It's been, an, it's been accelerated by the food system. And so there's a complete skewing of these key metal minerals metal, excuse me, copper versus iron. And let's go back to the initial assault. Let's assume that there really was a tick bite 
or some kind of in, insect that bit us, that in a in a healthy human being, it's going to have ferrooxidase, and then the, mo- the mother nature's antibiotic is called copper zinc SOD. And what it's supposed to do is neutralize the oxidants that that animal produces in the bite. That's what causes that inflammation, is it's a response to the oxidants that are being injected in us, and we're supposed to have the ability to neutralize it at the very start of this process. Right. And if we don't have that antioxidant, if we don't have that way to neutralize it, then it begins to take root and it begins to fester. Yes, so that's where the that's where the breakdown is. Yeah, and if we start behind the eight ball in terms of our ability to get rid of the exhaust, as you're talking about, and and really and and feed too. So you, if if we're you know kind of bumping along, yeah, you're not really sick, but we're not optimal, and then the tick comes along, and the enzymes in the saliva of the tick are also immune suppressant. So it down the tick saliva begins to downregulate the area, prepare and then yep. you get the Borrelia to come along and it also has some immune suppressing properties to it. And if you're already weak, if you're strong there, then you can take the hit and fight back. But if you're already weak, then all of a sudden now you're susceptible and now you start getting the infection and it starts taking a hold and taking over the endothelial cells and from there it's just Katie bar the door. Exactly. And the, and the part that I think people have been confused by, understandably confused, go back to two forms of oxidation, thank you very much, but, but the part that we're, we've been confused by is that, that people who tend to have Lyme are classified anemic, and they have very weak immune systems. And what no one has ever... Maybe, and it, I'm not the only, only one who's thought this, but I think I'm maybe the, one of the few that is willing to put my neck on the line to say, come on, we got it all backwards. But this idea of anemia is that's the four-year-old. We don't know what the sumo wrestler is doing. And, and it's very clear in the literature that iron has two notable effects in the cell. One, it kills the production of ATP. It can be anywhere from 40% to 96%, depending upon what the conditions are and what author you want to be following. So there's a tremendous loss of energy in the cell. And that's and free, and that's free iron? Yeah. In the cell. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's called, it's called labile free, labile yep. iron pool, LIP. Okay. And, and, and people, people are led to believe that iron is very tightly regulated. Wink, wink. It's not. It's, it's, it's out of control now. So iron is causing this massive loss of energy. And the second thing is iron is known to be immunosuppressive. It's, it's, it's all over the literature. Again, it's, it, it, what's amazing is iron is feeding the pathogens and it's causing the bioavailable copper to lose its verve so that it doesn't have the ferrooxidase punch that it needs. And again, we're, we're using terminology 
and, and words that people have never heard before. So they're like, well, yeah, well, how important could this really be? It's like, it, we're talking about the Mount Everest of the human body when we're talking about ferrooxidase. It's the most important enzyme function in the body, and it's not taught in medical school. That That's the part that, that's hard to impress upon people is how incomplete their doctor's education is. It, 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 their, their diploma is actually Swiss cheese. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's printed on Swiss cheese. Oh, my goodness. It, that's a strong it, statement. But I hear what you're saying. Well, I... I, I <clears throat> It's, you know what? But I'm going to. I'm delighted to share that. Yeah. No. Here, here's. I'm going to support you a, a little bit here because I, I hear very many stories. I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and many of them are interviews with doctors who come face to face with a disease or somebody in their family, and then they go back and educate themselves. And I hear that story over and over and over again. And so, there are massive holes in their education. That's sure. And. You know what you're saying. There's a, there's a massive blind spot. Whether you want it, it's a conspiracy uh, behind this, or whether it's just total human nature and just we only see what we want to see. Whatever you want to, however you want to categorize how we got here. Once once you're blind and once you're in the tunnel and all you see is like if you go down in a well, you can see the stars, right? But that's all you can see. You can't see the rest of it. oh, it's a beautiful stars in the middle of the day. That's a great. You know, but, but you have no idea what's going on around you and you're fascinated by these stars. It's like, wow, this is incredible. And that, you know, unfortunately that science is they get so focused on such a narrow end of things. And what you're talking is so broad and so wide. I mean, you know, once, once you start looking for magnesium and copper and all these functions, it's there, it's there every single time, every single time. So it's important for people to understand that in, in 2012, and I can't recall the author's name, but they, it was a very important study of what's called the magnosome. And it's that section of the DNA that responds to magnesium hmm. to make proteins, which then make enzymes, right? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's, a, it's a really big deal. Yeah. And I take the stand that there's about 9,000 enzymes that run the human body. And what they discovered in 2012 is that 3,751 proteins must have magnesium to work. Well, that's, that's 42% of the enzyme pathways in the body. Guess where that's not taught? That's not taught in medical school. You don't hear that anywhere. Not, well, no. And so then we, then we talk about, uh, let's, let's talk about my favorite after ferrooxidase, one of my favorite enzymes is called PAM, P-A-M, and it stands for phosphatidyl alpha, glycine alpha amidating monooxygenase. I just love to say it, you know. It's like, <laughs> but, but it's but it's an enzyme that's made up in the hypothalamus. So again, we've got this almond-sized section of the brain, sixty-four chambers. And one of those, and that's where electrical energy becomes chemical energy. That's where, that's, that's the master regulatory section of the brain. So, one of those sections makes this PAM enzyme. But that one PAM enzyme regulates 12 other hormones in the body. But you've never heard that. And what does PAM 
What's, what's one of its most important functions? It regulates peripheral body temperature. It's not the thyroid. It never was the thyroid. No kidding. It's the PAM yeah, it's the PAM enzyme coming out of the hypothalamus. And again, we've all been trained, like circus bears, to think that the thyroid runs the body. It doesn't. The signaling goes from hypothalamus to the pituitary, then to the thyroid. And then the thyroid, you know, obviously it's important. I'm not, I'm not a lunate, but it's not the thyroid running the body. That's all, you know, that's revisionist medicine. And what did they do with, with thyroid medication? They took control of our metabolism. Because in, in my world, thyroid medication disrupts magnesium metabolism and copper metabolism by design. Because those are the two metals or two minerals that are most important for making energy in the body. Complex four must have bioavailable copper. Complex five must have magnesium. And if you begin to mess with that, then the body doesn't run right. And, and so it's just, it's, it's really key, I think. Right. And so just to help people out there, you're talking about the electron transport chain and the different complexes there exactly. within the mitochondria. Okay. Exactly. So let's, exactly. let's back up a second here. Cause in all our talk about iron, I've, I've, I've lost personally. Okay. What iron is, is doing what its role is in the body. Cause it's not there just to cause problems. It is, it does have a role that needs to be regulated. So what does iron do that's positive in the body? Cause yeah, I to- no, I've I, totally I, lost that. <laughs> it's like, no, get rid of all the iron. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a really good question. I think what we should do is get rid of all the supplemental iron. Uh, Let's just let the body. So that, that, um, 98% of that iron gets recycled every day. It's a, the, the recycling system for iron is the most sophisticated recycling system on the planet. So people need to understand that we don't need tons of iron every day because the body is designed to recycle it. It's really good at doing that. So the, the thing is, what is that iron doing? Well, 75% of the iron in the body is carrying oxygen, either in what's called hemoglobin, or that's in the blood, or myoglobin, that's in the muscle. But that's 75% of the iron is found in just carrying oxygen to the tissue, and then uh, that hemoglobin is also used to carry carbon dioxide back to the lungs to get rid of it. So that's a, it's an enormous function inside the body. Then there are a lot of proteins made with heme, and there are proteins and other structures that have what are called iron-sulfur clusters. And when you get into the, into the literature, what they'll tell you is that iron is instrumental in metabolism, and it's instrumental in DNA replication, and it's instrumental in this and that. And basically, iron's role is more structural than catalytic. It, it, it really, it has been deemed uh, catalytic, but I think it's been overplayed to a fault. So let's let's play with this issue that iron is carrying oxygen. It's a big deal. Got to got to have it, right? So <clears throat> I'm sure we all have our favorite restaurant that we like to go to. 
because they have really good food and we really like the way the chef prepares it. Do we go to the restaurant because of the way the chef prepares the food or because of the way the waiter carries the food? <laughs> it's the chef. It's the chef. And it turns out that, in the, again, back to Robert Crichton, origin of the, of the planet, when oxygen was around, it needed a chef to work with the oxygen because the iron was reacting to the oxygen and it was causing death on the planet. And that's, that's the foundational origin of the dynamic. You can't exist without iron or oxygen excuse me, iron or copper in an environment that has oxygen. Mm-hmm. you got to have both. you got to have both. And that's the My point is, and again, I take it to an extreme, and I appreciate you're gently thumping me in the nose. We do need this iron, right, Morley? Yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's it's a case of, of an extreme of iron and, a, and an absolute absence of copper now in our body. And so the, the copper back into that mitochondria at complex four, that's the kitchen. That's the kitchen where the chef takes that oxygen and puts electrons on it so that water can be made and then it releases three ADP, Diaz and David, three ADP goes over to complex five where magnesium is added and another phosphate is added, and then it becomes three ATP, as in tango. Right. And that's that's the source of energy for the cell, and that's what enables us to exist. And there's this constant need for energy to run the body, and it's it's all about creating electrons and moving electrons. And the oxygen is delivered to the mitochondria into the kitchen so that it can be used. And if it doesn't have enough chefs in complex four, then it can't make enough energy. And when it has enough chefs, it's able to burn fat. And, the, and one unit of fat will produce 140 units right. As opposed of, to of energy. Glycogen, yeah. And, and then or glycogen, pyruvate, or yeah. glucose, will produce... 32, yeah. and that's when oxygen is present. So it's really good to have that oxygen. The fat, the breakdown of fat is much more oxygen efficient than, than glucose. But when there's no oxygen, it flips to what's called anaerobic metabolism, and we make two units of energy. Yeah, it's very inefficient, super inefficient. Very inefficient. Yeah. And the- that's what's called cancer. That's exactly that's what cancer is. It's yeah. inefficient metabolism. Right. And then the whole uh, epigenetic changes that happen to the cell trying to deal with that inefficient uh, metabolism. Now, what's interesting, so on the, on the human side of all this, uh, there are ultra athletes now who are working on dietary changes to enhance their ability to uh, metabolize fats and they are killing it out there. So they're, they're the people who do like run a hundred miles, like just crazy people like that. But because they, they optimize all this energy that you're talking about and burning 
the fat for fuel as opposed to, to glycogen, they're able to go longer and harder. And the interesting thing is when you're burning the fats, it's also glycogen sparing. And so one of the parts of performance, whether it's, you know, your immune system or in your brain is to have enough glycogen available. And, and bicyclists and these athletes call it bonking. It's like when you run out of, uh, glycogen or you get to a dangerously low level, the body just shuts down and says, thank you, we're done. Uh, we have to keep this in reserve because you may die and, and we need to, we need to have a little bit in reserve. So they just can't function anymore. They can't think. All they can think of is food right. and their muscles just shut down. So it's, it's interesting that all this goes on and outside, but what you're talking about, if you don't have the copper, if you don't have the good diets, if you don't, you know, that's where this other, this other part comes in. And you, you talked about the body is very efficient at recycling iron. You talked about how it loses some copper, but because there's so little, so it's not as efficient as retaining copper. So you need some copper. Where does the body stand on recycling magnesium? Uh, Do you know it, that it by any chance? It, it can't. No, it, it it can't recycle. It it there's no not that I'm aware of. Um, re, the magnesium is restored through diet and through water and through supplements, obviously. But you know, in in mineral mineral rich soil that grows mineral rich produce, you get plenty of magnesium. But but by our earlier discussion, we know that the soils don't have the minerals that they're supposed to have. And so that's why it's incumbent upon us to enrich our water with mineral drops and to enrich our diet with uh, supplements. And there is a purpose to it, but I think where, where we all got um, distracted or hijacked was thinking that a multivitamin was universally good, and it's not. That, that the classic multivitamin that people take has way too much calcium for the amount of magnesium, right? way too much zinc for the amount of copper, way too much iron. Oh, my gosh. You know, all of the B vitamins in that structure are synthetic, which means they're coming from coal tar derivatives. The, the vitamin C is actually ascorbic acid, and they have supplemental D, which is not of advised at least in, in my circles, I don't. I, it, first thing I do is get people off vitamin D to try to restore their metabolism. So there's so many wrong components to a, a multivitamin that we've, for years, for decades, we thought, wow, I've, I've got this insurance policy called a vitamin, when in fact it's more like a death sentence. And it, and it really creates all sorts of artificial imbalances in the minerals, which then go on to create all sorts of symptoms. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the chemist, the balance, the, the, the chemistry and the, the balance in the chemistry. See, that's one thing that we also don't understand. Basically, all we understand, and again, this is one of the stories that's out there, right? And there, there's people who do understand this as scientists. I'm not painting that broad a brush, but I'm talking about a popular idea is there's only a deficiency. 
We don't talk, we, we talk about balance all the time, but we don't understand what balance is. I mean, we understand, and you put it simply in, in terms of the seesaw, but the balance is more like the balance of an orchestra where you're tuning hundreds of instruments at the same time. And, you know, an over exuberant piccolo player is going to destroy the symphony <laughs> kind of thing. So it's very easy to really disturb this dynamic multivariable balance by putting in too much piccolo whether that's uh, a folate or a vitamin d or too much calcium or whatever and then but there tends to be like you said because of fashion i'm just going to say fashion that this is the this is the darling vitamin of the month of the year of the decade and so we just keep right. throwing that like, like calcium for bones. Oh my God, that's, that was just such a disaster. And it didn't help anybody Absolutely. with, with osteoporosis, but we started eating all this calcium and it probably, right. I mean, anyway, it just, it's ridiculous. So the, 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 cal- the magnesium calcium ratio in seawater, which we evolved from, if you buy that theory, is there's three parts magnesium to one part calcium in seawater. Three to one. Andrea Rosanoff, a noted magnesium researcher, uh, she wrote a very important book with uh, Mildred Selig in, I think it was 2010, called The Magnesium Factor. If people are at all interested in learning some fascinating information about magnesium, read Andrea Rosanoff's book, The Magnesium Factor. But she did a study in 2012 looking at the Western diet. Yeah. And what was the calcium to magnesium ratio? Well, the modern ratio is five parts calcium to one part magnesium because of our obsession with this vogue contemporary, you know, a mineral called calcium. Well, that's a 15 fold change in the ratio of magnesium to calcium. Right. And you know it's interesting. Profound right. The, the 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 sophisticated calcium supplements have fifty fifty magnesium, and then it's magnesium oxide, which isn't being absorbed, and we get into all that whole nonsense too. Where so you know if it's fifty fifty in the pill, you're only getting eight percent of that, and so it's really fifty two or whatever it is on the ratio. And a, and a, and a very noted magnesium expert, his name was Guy Abraham. He was a um, um, professor of OBGYN at uh, UCLA Medical Center, one of my mentors, very, very interesting guy. And his two loves were magnesium and iodine. And he discovered in his practice that when he doubled the amount of magnesium to the amount of calcium, the symptoms of his patients melted away. How about that? And that that was then re- by research at, at Vanderbilt by a professor, Key, Q-I, Dai, D-A-I, and I think this was like 2012, 2013, and that's exactly what he proved. And he said if you have excess calcium to magnesium in the diet, you block magnesium absorption, and if you have excess magnesium to calcium in the diet, you guarantee calcium utilization. So they have they have exactly opposite properties of each other, and and it's not an accident that every supplement that people might be using has twice as much calcium as it has magnesium by design to block the absorption of magnesium because it does too much. 
again, back to the 3,751 proteins. It, kill, it kills the business model is what it does. And it's, it's like, really? I mean, they really are doing this? Yeah, they are. They've, they've taken they've taken magnesium out of the soil and they've taken copper out of the soil. And there's a reason why they've taken that out of the soil. Because that's what allows our body to have a natural functioning enzymes to keep us in homeostasis. So much to chew on. Well, and the, and the, the purpose of it is it's, it's again, my, my message is there's a node. There's a mineral node built around magnesium and copper and, copper. and iron. Yeah. And, and when you understand the interplay between those three minerals, both healthy and unhealthy, it begins to have spokes coming out of that node that attaches to every condition that's ever been identified. And that's a very unsettling message. Because, again, I use the analogy of the Ferris wheel. The, the axle of the Ferris wheel is where the problem is. That's where the copper iron dysregulation is at its greatest. But, but what all the practitioners have been trained to do and what all of their patients have been trained to do is focus on the seats. And the practitioners treat the seats and they ignore the axle. Well, I think it's time to stop that. Ignore the seats and really let's, let's rebalance and reinvigorate the axle so the seats disappear. That's, that's what this whole process is all about, getting the seats to disappear. In Chinese medicine, they refer to this as the roots and branches theory and that the mm-hmm. the iron yeah, the copper absolutely. or and the magnesium down at the roots so you want to treat the roots and the branches because the there is a problem out at the seat you know especially if it's something uh you know you've got arthritis and a lot of pain in your joints uh from lyme disease there's absolutely a problem in the seats but until you take care of the roots until you take care of the center of the ferris wheel it's just going to manifest on a different seat or the same seat again once you clear it out you know you put the you paint the seat or you clean it up or whatever and then just a matter of time before it manifests again so you got to get to the center of this and let's let's talk about another aspect of this because I think that's a very powerful analogy that you're sharing about the roots versus the, the uh, branches. Well, part of our immune system is called the macrophage, right? It's very, it plays a very important role. It those are the frontline workers to address the pathogens. They like they like to gobble them up, and they like to squirt them with. Um, Oxidants. It's you know it's called the the phagocytic burst, right? That's that's creating an oxidant to kill the pathogen, and that is a really important function of the macrophage to do. And so, it it turns out that the macrophage has two channels. There's M1 and M2, and M1 is where an inflammatory process is created, and M2 is where the tissue repair and regeneration process is initiated. 
Right, because that's the other important part of the 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 the, uh, the the what you're talking about. The macrophage is that they're also involved in repairing tissue. So th- these things have to work for your your immune system to kill off invaders, but they're also critical in then repairing the damage that has been done either by trying to kill off the invaders or the medicine you're taking to kill off the invaders or just regular day to day life. Exactly. Now here's where it gets really intriguing. These macrophages, and they're all over the body. You know, in the brain, they're called microglial cells. In the, in the liver, they're called Kupfer cells. And they love to come up with these different names for these, all, all doing the same thing, but they love to make it seem like they're coming from different galaxies. But they're all the same cells doing different, doing the same function in different parts of the body. But the, but the macrophage, one of its functions is to gobble up dying red blood cells. They're part of the recycling system. Right. Full of iron. They gobble up the red yeah. and they get full of iron. Yeah. And what happens is they use that iron to activate inflammation. They're really good at that. But there's a threshold when the macrophage becomes what's called polarized. And that's a polite way of saying stuck. And they get stuck an inflammatory response. And it cannot turn off the inflammation to enable channel 2, M2, to do its repair work. And it turns out that M1 is fueled by iron and M2 is fueled by copper. Ding, ding, ding. There you go again. So right. what, yeah. there, you, there you go again. And so the, the, what's, what's wearing people out is macrophages that are they're, they're full of iron, and they can't let go of the iron. Why? Because the macrophage needs ferro-oxidase enzyme to release the iron so that it can turn on the M2 function. And it can't let the iron out because it doesn't have enough bioavailable copper to make that enzyme to allow that function to happen. And that's that whole dynamic between stuck M1 macrophage function, that's the very basis of all autoimmune conditions on this planet. I was going to say, so that looks like autoimmunity. That's exactly what it is. Yep. It's just, it's, it's a polarized macrophage that is iron toxic, and it can't get rid of the iron because it lacks the bioavailable copper. And that's the very essence of being stuck in autoimmune. Fascinating, huh? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And again, and again, it's it's bringing it all back to a common point of origin. And that's what people need to understand is that all of these different labels that they have learned that have been branded on their forehead all have a common point of origin. And what, what this conversation is designed to do is begin to empower people to realize, wow, so we're really talking about three minerals, right? And we're really talking about really addressing this iron overload function. Even though my blood work says I'm anemic, what you're telling me, McKay and Morley, is I'm really, I'm iron toxic in my tissue. And if people can walk away with that understanding, then we will have, we will have succeeded by a factor of 10. 
Yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. And for those of you listening out there who are stuck in your healing journey, in your Lyme journey, this is a place to start exploring and educate yourself and give the root protocol a try. One of the things I love about the root protocol is it's not radical and it's not very expensive. Uh, so it's things no, that you can, right. yeah, do very easily and experiment with. Uh, you know, it's taking a little bit of magnesium, it's some bee pollen, uh, some liver, and uh, that's predominantly it. There are a couple of things you can add later on: uh, the the boron in the foot baths or your baths that you're doing, and then some iodine later on once once you're balanced. Uh, but but that's yeah. predominantly it. It's it's pretty gentle, and you can do it in small doses and work your way up, and try to keep that in in balance. So oh, and the cod liver oil, of course, because of the the vitamin A yeah. and the other the other fat soluble things. I mean, really, really, what you're talking about the calcium and the magnesium is the same rut we got stuck with with the vegetable oils versus the animal based oils and the omega sixes. And those prostaglandins right. and the omega three and those prostaglandins. The, it's, it's, and it's interesting that they both fall on the same side of the inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory side of things. And the, the entire, yeah. our entire food system is, and this is where, where I might come along with you is based on inflammatory chemicals. I mean, the entire thing. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's yeah, brutal. Sugar, sugar and omega six oils yeah. attract iron. And and copper is fat soluble, so it, it it loves saturated fat, and and that's that's the antithesis of the recommended diet. So you have a you have copper is fat soluble, iron, it's it's not fat soluble, it, but it responds to a rise in sugar, and it responds to omega six oils. It, it's very it is pro inflammatory, and and it's like. Gosh, I mean, who knew? Who would have thought it was that simple? The one thing that, that the nuance here, um, you mentioned earlier in our conversation today that there's an enzyme that gets turned off in the macrophage that causes it to store iron. Yes. Do you know the name of that enzyme? What's, what's the name of that enzyme? Ferro, hang on. It's in that thing you said. I've got all my things up here. I'll click through and find it. <laughs> hang on. Oh, man. Good grief. So I, like you, was spending the morning researching and uh, hepcidin. Oh, hepcidin, of course. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And the thing is, hepcidin is billed as the the hormone of iron, but it's also equally referred to in the literature as the hormone of inflammation. Yeah. And what, and what hepcidin does when ferrooxidase enzyme is not present and it's not likely present in someone who has Lyme disease, but when it's not present, what hepcidin does is it degrades the protein that's supposed to be releasing the iron, but it can't, the, that protein is called ferroportin. Right. Porter, like, like carry it out. Yep. The ferroportin protein must have ferrooxidase to enable the, the change of iron from a, a ferrous state to a ferric state so that it can be attached to a protein to, to be transported away from the cell. Well, if ferrooxidase enzyme is not there, the doorway can't open and the hepcidin 
eats up the, the protein, causes it to go inside, and it degrades it, and then the iron stays in the in the macrophage. Right. So if that's a central part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's important also for people to understand that really when we're talking about these enzymatic processes, it's easy to think of it as a switch being 100% on and 100% off, but it's usually a percentage. So when the heps, exactly. so if you're behind, so if you're only, let's say, 50% efficient to begin with because you're deficient in magnesium and copper, and then you've got an infection and the liver starts promoting uh producing hepcidin that gets out there too so now instead of 50 percent of moving from on the macrophage uh for moving the iron out now you're down to 30 or 20 percent so it's never it's rarely a hundred percent on anything but it's just the efficiency and so the efficiency just gets really ratcheted down and they're they're multiple factors and i'm sure morley when talking to your uh clients as well you get this that man i can't figure out what's going on here because it's like one day i can eat this and i'm fine and the other day i eat it i'm not but that's because the way things layer on top of each other and have the you know you take a 10 percent efficiency hit here and 10 percent here and a 30 percent here and all of a sudden you you, you're in full-blown whatever the label of your disease is but i think you know when we're talking about these things it's important to understand that it's not an on-off switch. It's a it's a percentage reduction of the efficiency of these proteins in these pathways. No, that's that's a very important point. Okay, let me, let me give an example. That that ideal body temperature is ninety eight point six, and I know that most people say, "Well, that's not my body temperature." Do you know? Hang on, hang on. Do you know how they came up with that? This, no this, the story is, this, so this was done, uh, read this in the uh, history of, of Johns Hopkins. Uh, doctor was wondering, gee, I wonder what the average temperature is. So he went through a hospital and took a hundred temperatures and averaged it out. And that's how we got to that. <laughs> Swear to God. I love, I love it. Well, being, anyway, I'm, so. Like- my kids call me Baltimorely because I come from Baltimore. So <laughs> oh, I love do that. you really? Like that. My mom's oh, from yeah, Baltimore. That's- Okay, well, that, that's the mecca of medicine, of course. Of she medicine. she grew up in the but, on the in, in the shadow of the shot tower. What part of Baltimore are you oh from? Oh my goodness! Okay, well, I'm I'm just over the city line. There's a main artery called Charles Street. Yeah, of course. I'm just over the Charles Street, I'm like um, literally just a couple blocks over the city line, and about a half a mile from Charles Street. So. Uh, so you and your mom and I hail from the same area. There you go. The Great. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> ideal ideal body temperature. Right. Ninety eight point six. Point six, as evidenced by this brilliant doctor from Hopkins, <laughs> and uh, that's very funny. I think that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. You just—it's it's a swag. They don't know what it is. Right. But um, but what's a fever? A fever is a four percent differential. Four percent, and when it goes up to one oh two. We call that a fever. Right. So when, when I'm doing my analysis of, of blood work with clients, one of the things I'm really sensitive to is ideal ceruloplasmin, and that's the, that's the kind of the generic form of ferrooxidase. Its ideal level it should be 35. 35 units of, of ceruloplasmin. Most people are between 18 and 22. Wow. And so they are off, off by a matter of, of 40 to 50% differential. Okay. It's, it's staggering. That is staggering. So, 
so then it's it's not a four percent differential it's a tenfold it's ten times a fever so we know how bad we feel when we have a fever well at a cellular level the cells are reeling from the lack of this essential enzyme that regulates iron and regulates the proteins that are designed to chaperone iron and that's the part that's completely lost on traditional conventional uh, discussion of quote-unquote disease they don't talk about what's happening to the iron because that's behind a curtain we're not supposed to know about that amazing huh so I mean, this, this has been uh, again I think uh, equally fascinating discussion I, I hope that the listeners find value in this give and take because we, we're coming at this with completely different perspectives but I think we're increasingly finding that there are points of, of agreement that by virtue of this dialogue we're beginning to see that, that what's really happening at a focal point for all of this and and I think it's it's important for people to realize that there are different points of view I, I think your analogy of that well and only being able to see stars. That's a beautiful and very powerful image of what happens is we get so deep into a certain subject that we lose sight of all the different points of connection. And I think that's that's what's happened. And what I've tried to do is kind of step out of that well and say, where are the points of, of interface and intersection so we can begin to see points of commonality? And And I think over the process of a decade, I began to realize that, wow, there really is a, a focal point around these three minerals that when they're out of regulation and out of balance with each other, there's a lot of downstream confusion and then p- potentially chaos that ensues that because we're very gullible, we believe it when someone says we have a disease. But, but what we're learning is that's just a story. And it's a very believable story, but it's still a story. I'm going to end with this very, very short story, and then I'll give you the, the last word again, <laughs> Morley. And that is, they did a study with rats, and I think in some ways we're like rats. So they put a piece of cheese on the uh, out for the rat in a maze, and if it was a new maze, the rat would explore the maze before it felt comfortable enough to eat this the cheese. So in other words, the rat needed to know how it's going to escape if there's some danger before it felt comfortable enough to eat. Human beings are the same way. We have to have an explanation. Otherwise, we suffer. And if you look back in your own life, the the times we suffer most emotionally and mentally is when we don't understand something. And so we'll grasp onto any explanation that comes by that we can that we'll wrap our minds around. We're we are explanation addicts. And, you know, again, we get back to where we started this discussion with the, with the hallucinogens. If you can shake those stories a little bit, just to let them vibrate a little bit, maybe grab onto a different story for a little while, you can have a whole different insight. And that, that's where breakthroughs come from. And that's why breakthroughs happen out in the middle of the country, away from the centers of learning is because that's where the grisp, grasp the grip on the story isn't as strong. 
and there's not as much social pressure to conform to the story. So breakthroughs never happen. I'm, I'm going to just make that blanket statement in, in the, in the centers where all the really smart people are, because they are just a self fulfilling, self enforcing group think. No, very well said. And, and so I, you know, I went to, I didn't go to medical school. I wasn't the right, I wasn't the right raw material for their training. And I ended up going to business school. Well, the guiding aphorism of business school is what gets measured gets when, gets managed. It's very clear. You know about revenue, expense, and profit. And you're driven to monitor those carefully so that you optimize them. That's not the, that's not the mantra of medicine. Medicine is not known because not looked for. And that's a very powerful metaphor for what medicine, medicine's down in the well, looking at the stars and ignoring everything else around it. And so one of the great minds in medicine, excuse me, in business is a, a professor at Harvard Business School. And his whole focus is on disruptive innovation. Right. His name is Clayton, Clayton Christensen. And he talks about the importance of change in any industry always comes from outside the industry. It never comes from within the industry, just just what you're saying. And I had an opportunity to actually do a, a program with him once, and the guy is just, he's spellbinding, but he has this very powerful understanding of how change always originates outside an industry. And I think what's needed in, in medicine today and in healing is a very fresh perspective that's based on these mineral foundations to really enhance our understanding about what's really happening. Not what we've been taught is happening, but what is really happening. And it's, we've been stuck in the Emerald Palace with Dorothy, believing the talking head was the doctor, and all the smoke and the flames and the thunder was very frightening. And we've, we've been chasing flying monkeys and witches and all this stuff for years and years. And, and how did Dorothy kill the witch? With water. And what's in water? Minerals. And so people just need to understand the power of these minerals is, it's far beyond anything we can imagine. It's just we've never been trained to think this way. And so it's, it is as you're inviting people to begin to think, to stretch that paradigm so they begin to see new layers of truth that have been there all along but they've been covered up by a story. Morley, you've been more than generous with your time again, and we'll have to continue this at some time too, because I, like you, think we're just, we're just getting warmed up here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, we'll include links to the Magnesium Group's Facebook page and your website and where people can get hold of the root protocol and talk to other people who've been on this path and really transform their lives with, with taking care of their minerals. So thanks again. That sounds great. You bet. Appreciate the opportunity. Okay. It's been a lot of fun. Morley is a, he's a fascinating guy and there's something I find that's very interesting about like this conver- the conversations that you've had with him, and that it goes beyond 
Hmm, that's not quite the right way to say it. It gets into kind of the fundamentals of how people get sick. Yes. And maybe I've said that before, but yes. it's still really important to say. It's like, it's not just, it, it, when something is fundamentally wrong, it, it it's it's not the kind of bacteria, it's just kind of what's opportunistic at that moment in time, that kind of external factor that manages to get in there first. Studying Lyme disease has helped me so much with my chronically ill patients because the mechanisms that cause these long-term illnesses are similar. Mm -hmm. The entrance in there is different. So there could be a different type of infection. It could be a gut infection versus a tick bite, tick-borne illness infection. It could be multiple stresses, even emotional stresses, just really overwhelming stresses. Uh, it could be physical trauma. But they all get in there and create these inflammatory cycles that don't let up. They damage the mitochondria. They influence your hormones to a bad way. So, yeah, there's getting underneath there. there. There are other people studying, whether it's from the cancer world or fibromyalgia world, that they're getting into the same ideas. They're just doing it through a different pathway. So I agree. I think you're right. It's very exciting. It's very exciting for the future of medicine and for healthcare. Last week, we notified that four of you won a copy of Sarah Sanchez's book. We've had a little technical difficulties getting those out, so hang on. They will be coming soon. We haven't forgotten about you. I haven't gotten them here yet, so I haven't been able to turn around and mail them. And we also have winners from last week. And last week, Jared Iverson was very generous, and he was willing to buy copies for you out there. Of You Are the Placebo, and that's one of his favorite books, and he credits that with really turning his mind around and helping him heal from Lyme disease. Yep. So this week's winners are Amy, Susan, Laura, and Sharon, and okay. we've just sent you out an email, so you should be notified about that, and we'll be getting those names to Jared, and he'll send you the books directly. Okay, where are we now? Feedback. Feedback, Feedback is great. We, we love, love feedback. We love feedback. <laughs> if you have any suggestions for the show, people we should be interviewing, some constructive criticism, something you really don't like, sound quality, tempo, topics, we'd love to hear from you. We really would. Feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com is our email. And that's easy enough, right? Yeah. Feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yep. Or you can leave us a review on iTunes. Don't forget that. Yes. If you have the ability to do that, we'd really appreciate that. You just navigate on, on over to iTunes and click on the reviews section. Leave us a five-star review and let us know why you love us. <laughs> For example. Kelly Uber loves us. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. She sent us a message. We want you to read that yep. or some of it. She she sent us a message on Facebook, and here she said, I have listened to every podcast you've had in under a month. As I clean houses daily, you are in my ear. Bless you, too, and the education you provide. I'm on this protocol, and I have been thriving. That's so good to hear. Yeah, it really is. That's one reason why we love happy feedback. Yeah. We, we, we'll take other kind of feedback, too. We want the show to get better yep. and to help you. Yep. But it's good to know that we're having an impact in the world. Yeah. So we're not making any money on this. Well, we make a tiny little bit of money. We get some donations every month, and we really appreciate those, by the way. But we're not paying any bills with this. We're, we're not even breaking even. 
with our time and the resources. This is not a wine. Roy's giving me the stop, <laughs> stop with the sob story. It's not a sob story. Just letting you know what the facts are. That's a Lime Ninja fact. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much, Callie. I'm glad you're feeling better, and I'm glad we were useful. Yes, this was supposed to be about Callie, right? Yeah, it was. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Callie. But to make up for that, we have sent you a nice... I just went over to the local Deansboro post office today and dropped in the mail some nice Lime Ninja, ninja swag. Nice t-shirt. I think you'll like it. Also, if you want to hear a bit more from us, you can go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com, fill in your name and email, and sign up for the Lime Ninja Nuggets, which is a weekly email that I do with the news and any useful info that I find that week. So what's the big news for today, Aurora? Well, the big news for today is the Global Lime Alliance has granted fellowships to five postdoctoral scientists to study, I won't, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Which we know and love as chronic Lyme. There's a wink, wink. Or just Lyme disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm, the point I'm never is, quite sure how to how it, to treat. You know, that. the scientists will call it what they want. They're trying to distinguish things out there. Whatever. The important thing is somebody's studying this. That's yep. really important. Very exciting news. So we can't wait to see what comes out of that. Also, if you don't know your Lyme score yet, you can do yourself a favor and head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash tracker and fill out the Lyme Ninja symptom tracker which is free. Yes, it's a wonderful tool. Helps you keep track month to month whether things are going in a positive direction, a negative direction, or just sideways. It's hard to keep track of so many symptoms that come up and down in some months. Some things are worse than others. Backward, forward, switchbacks on your Lyme journey, dead ends, backtracking. It's so complex. This simplifies it and gives you a numerical score. Gives you a place to get an overall sense. And Am I getting better? Is that my imagination? Or am I getting worse? Or is that my imagination? Mine plays funny tricks. And getting it down on paper helps sort that out. All right. Lastly, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of just today. Did you know... Last week, a ninja got pulled over by the county sheriff for doing 65 in a 40-mile-hour zone. The ninja let the sheriff off with a warning. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.